Hey, everybody, and welcome back to Bikes and Big Ideas on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm David Golay, the bike editor at Blister, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. And while you're there, check out our new guide to visiting our home in Mount Crested Butte and the rest of the Gunnison Valley. It's got everything you need to know about transportation, lodging, and getting around the valley. We've included a link in the show notes, so check that out, and come pay us a visit. Okay, this week on Bikes and Big Ideas, I sat down with our very own Dylan Wood to talk about the huge range of bikes we've been testing recently, including the Santa Cruz Bronson, which has now grown a mullet, the all-new We Are One Arrival, and the newly high-pivoted Norco range, just to name a few. This also might be the most successful podcast lightning round in blister history, and we cover a ton of ground in this one, so let's get right to it. Well, today I'm very pleased to be sitting down with Dylan Wood to talk about a whole bunch of the bikes we've been riding. How you doing, Dylan? Good. Yeah, I think this is the first podcast we've actually recorded in person, which is nice. Yeah, definitely an improvement over doing the Zoom call and everything and just got back from a pretty good ride earlier today, so things are going pretty well. Yeah, things are going great. Well, to kick it off, how about you take us through a bike that we just finished up our full review of and it's up on the site? Yeah, so we're talking about the Canfield Lithium here. Uh, it's a long travel 29-inch wheeled enduro bike from Canfield that we've been spending time on all throughout the summer. Um, both Eric, Luke, and I all got time on it. And like David said, you can check out our full review on the site for a little bit more detail, but we're just going to hit the highlights here. Yeah, so Canfield set out to make a you know, long travel enduro bike. And if you look at the numbers of this bike, it definitely makes sense. It's got long geometry, pretty slack head tube, and just all around looks like a capable bike. But I think what surprised us most about this bike was how versatile it turned out to be. It was one of those bikes that definitely can handle, you know, steep trails, a lot of fast stuff, a lot of chunky stuff. But it didn't have some of the negatives that come along with that on more mellow trails um, and when doing tighter stuff, more flowy, playful trails like that. It was surprisingly versatile in that sense, which I thought was great. Yeah, seemed like that was a pretty cool one. I didn't get to spend any time on it, unfortunately, but all three of you had pretty good things to say about it. And anything else that stood out about it? No. Eric in particular really got along especially well with the rear suspension layout on that bike. Any thoughts from you on that point? Yeah, CBF or Canfield balance formula is Canfield's proprietary suspension design that both Canfield and Revel use. And it's it's really good stuff. Um, We're not going to get into much of the specifics about CBF. If you want to learn more about it, I think Canfield's website is a good place to start about all the engineering that goes into it and the ideas there. But on the trail, it basically translates to suspension with good anti-squat regardless of where the rear shock is in its travel. So if you're just sitting down and sort of grinding out a climb, the anti-squat feels pretty similar to if you were, you know, standing up and using a bit more rear travel going faster down a trail and, and pedaling in that sense. Um, and it's also a, a rear suspension platform that offers a lot of traction under braking, which I think is awesome. And it usually, it translated to a, a bike that 
encourage you to take a little bit more speed into corners and different sections of the trail because you knew that the second you, you know, panicked and pulled on that rear brake, you weren't skidding out. It actually had great traction that could, could slow you down nicely. And I think that brings us to another great point of that bike cornered really well. Um, I'm not sure exactly what, I don't think I can put my hand on a single aspect of that bike that caused it to corner so well, but basically the, the Canfield lithium might have been one of the best long travel 29ers I've ridden in terms of just how well it cornered. It was really fun to, to rail like bike park berms on it. Um, it felt pretty low to the ground, um, finished and entered corners pretty well. And it was just a blast at the bike park. I think largely because of that and also just because of its short chain stays that allowed you to get it in the ground, get it off the air, get it off the ground a little easier and just flick around and, and manual and stuff. It it was a fun bike in that sense. Nice. Yeah, certainly all three of you have good things to say about it. And it does just seem like a really cool sort of option for something that's really capable, but also still pretty versatile and doesn't only work well when it's pointed down something super steep you like kind of a good all-around trail bike for being a 160-ish travel enduro bike which is a cool thing you know there's not a lot of bikes and uh one in particular that we'll talk about in a minute that uh are much more on the just full charge end of the spectrum and don't work so well when you're kind of taking it a little more easy so nice to have options there yeah absolutely and i think if you're in the market for uh, long travel 29 inch enduro bike but you don't want much of the uh, lack of versatility that comes with that i think the lithium warrants a good look for sure sweet well for something at the pretty far at the other end of the travel spectrum i've been spending a bunch of time recently on the newly updated gorilla gravity trail pistol this is the one that's gone to having a carbon fiber rear triangle as well to go with their revved thermoplastic carbon front triangle and it's cool. It's a 120 rear travel bike that's designed to use a 130 or 140 travel fork. I've got a 140 on it right now. And we reviewed the prior generation a couple of years ago. And frankly, the new one's not wildly different, but I wouldn't say that's a bad thing. We liked the last one pretty well. It's a really fun kind of nimble poppy energetic feeling bike that's still fairly long and slack and has relatively aggressive geometry and so it all adds up to a bike that is really easy just to get airborne off of every little kind of feature on the trail and it is a bike that sort of i think rewards a relatively aggressive rider and aggressive approach it's not there are a lot of sort of 120 travel bikes out there that feel a bit more derived from a cross country ish sort of background, if you want to put it that way, that are a bit lighter and pedal a little better. But the trail pistol definitely feels a little bit more on the more aggressive end of things for that class of travel generally, for better and or worse, sort of depending on what you want to do with it. And it's certainly not kind of the bike I'd pick to go do like a marathon XC race on, but as a trail bike that is pretty capable but super fun if you are not riding super steep stuff and just don't have the really chunky gnarly terrain to 
justify a full enduro bike or maybe you do but you also want to have a lighter option to mix things up on sometimes and or do some longer rides that that big enduro bike would be a little overkill for i think it's really sweet for that kind of application so it's been fun uh there's a flash review up on the site i'll be spending a lot more time on it soon and we'll have a full review up in a bit but really getting along with it well and i also think i would say that the well, it isn't a wild departure from the last version. The couple of tweaks that they have are generally for the better. Uh, probably most notably, just the small bump sensitivity of the rear suspension has improved a bit. They've tweaked the leverage curves and stuff to accommodate that. And the geometry is just a touch slacker with a little bit longer chain stays too, which I think kind of went towards just making the bike a little bit more stable, which was sort of the direction it was trending already anyway and kind of feels pretty nicely in keeping with the overall intentions of it and it's a nice little update it's been cool cool yeah the way you described it kind of reminds me of the pivot trail 429 in that you know fun trail bike category probably wouldn't enter an xc race on it but a super fun alternative to a longer travel bike if you just don't need that much squish and you're looking for something a little more lively Yep, that's a pretty good way to summarize it. So for that sort of person, it's a pretty good one. Sweet. What's next? Yeah, we've been spending a lot of time on the Canyon Spectral 2.9. Um, had that bike for a couple months now. Been riding it all over Gunnison and Crested Butte. Took it to Moab as well to you know make sure the square edge bump compliance was there too. Um, in the deserty environment. And yeah, Eric and I have both logged time on this bike. And I think it's worth noting that I just finished up my time on Luke's Meta TR that we rated, that we weighed around 36 pounds and then got on this Spectral 2.9, which is pretty similar in terms of, you know, it's a 29 inch wheeled bike. It has pretty similar geometry, uh, similar travel but it weighs significantly less. I think it was somewhere in the ballpark of 31 or 32 pounds when we weighed that bike. So it's a pretty light bike and it took some getting used to off the front uh, first couple of rides that I did because it's also a pretty long bike and the size large that we've been testing in their low geometry setting, it has a reach of 485 millimeters, which is longer than any other bike that I've logged time on this year. So specifically, it took me a couple of rides to um, realize that I need to get my weight a bit more forward on that bike. Um, it's I usually have a preference of uh, letting my weight bias off the rear end of my bike. But with that, how light and long that bike is, I found that the front wheel would bounce around a bit too much. So after a couple of rides of just trusting the wheelbase and trusting the bike and just sort of letting my weight sit between the wheels. It felt much better. Um, and yeah, I'd, I'd say it's a really versatile do it all 29 inch sort of long travel trail bike that is light and snappy enough to enjoy at, you know, more mellow XC trails you know, stuff where you're just pumping a bunch of rollers and trying to pop off as much as you can, but in also riding some of the steeper, gnarlier trails, like at the Crested Butte bike park or Green Lake Trail in Crested Butte, for example, it is also a bike that 
can go really fast, um, has a long wheelbase and reach to stay stable in, in chunky sections of trail. And yeah, it was all, all around a, a really versatile bike and a good time. It, it had a bottom bracket that felt a bit lower than most bikes I've been on. I mostly noticed this on the way up just because I was bashing my pedals a bunch, but yeah, I think it had a more positive effect once you went on the way down, just because I feel like a low bottom bracket tends to create a bike that corners a lot better. Um, just having your feet and your, and your weight a, l- a little bit lower in corners tends to, tends to help for sure. So I think it was mostly a positive and my whole philosophy, if you're striking your pedals a bunch, it's probably not the bike's fault. It's probably your fault. And <laughs> you just need to be a little bit more careful of, of where you're placing your cranks. But I did try out the high mode in that bike as well for a few rides. And I found that the pedal striking was definitely alleviated by a good bit. Uh, wasn't day and night by any means, but, and, and I don't think the cornering was negatively affected too much. So yeah, that was, that was a fun bike too. And yeah, we should be writing our thoughts down on that bike soon and getting a, a full review posted up on it. Right on. And so remind me the travel on that. It's a 160 front, 150 rear. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. 160 front, 150 rear. And that reminds me that it's a pretty good value too. Um, Canyon, of course, is a direct to consumer brand. And being how light that bike is, I think there's value in that alone. But the the build kit comes in around $5,200 usd and it gets you shimano xt um, drivetrain and four piston brakes fox 36 performance elite fork and a fox performance dpx2 shock just to uh, name off some of the highlights so i think that's a pretty good value for the price that you get on that build Um, i would say that the the dpx2 is not my favorite shock and i think it was a bit of an outlier on that bike and it would probably be the only thing i would upgrade if i were to actually buy that bike but just looking at canyon's website um they've come out with the uh different different more spectral offerings that aren't just the 29 inch and a lot of them have the new fox float x as well as the rock shock super deluxe on it so i think that's a, a good improvement over the dpx2 performance i think that that shock just heats up a bit too much and can't handle really bumpy a lot of successive hits like at the at the bike park it's like i think i almost burned my leg on one at some point because it just doesn't handle heat too well yeah that's a good uh, note on the rear shocks too so the uh, i've been testing the new float x on the trail pistol and uh, mostly tested the prior generation trail pistol with the dpx2 and um but have done sort of i guess all four combinations of shock and frame version if that makes sense just to sort of a b test some things and um the float x has got pretty clearly notably better small bump sensitivity than the dpx2 does as well uh the updated frame kinematics help too. kind of the whole package comes together to make a pretty big improvement all told between the frame and shock changes but all of that is a good step forward and i think the float x is a nice update over the dpx2 and that's kind of where fox is going with it they're phasing the dpx2 out and replacing it with the float x and it seems like a pretty positive step 
Yeah, we've seen it on a few bikes, and I think it is a, a step in the right direction for sure. And I, I think it would be an improvement on the Spectral 2.9 as well. Yeah, and so then as you alluded to, um, Canyon just a week or two ago launched uh, updated full 27.5 versions of the Spectral and then a new mullet version of it as well. Like you said, we've been riding the 29-inch one that came out about a year ago, and that frame carries over unchanged, but they did make some tweaks to the build kit for this year in addition to the new 27.5 and mullet options on that bike. So everyone's catered to. They are separate frames. It's not like it's a, the same frame with flip chips or whatever to do adaptations and wheel size, but whichever you prefer, you're catered to. you got an option with them now, and sounds like a pretty sweet one. Yeah, and I'm not sure if I mentioned this earlier, but just to be clear, the build kit we're testing is the CF8. So they do have the the CFR build kit, um, which is their higher end carbon frame. But we've been testing their carbon frame in the uh, middle of the road build kit. Yeah, that seems like a pretty fun bike. And for something on a pretty similar geometry, pretty similar suspension travel numbers and stuff, I've been spending quite a bit of time on the new We Are One Arrival which has also been a lot of fun. We've been pretty impressed with their wheels over the years, and they've now branched out into making a bike too. So like the Spectral, it's a 150 millimeter rear travel 29er with a 160 travel fork. And um, so far, my biggest impressions of it are that it is an especially kind of poppy, lively bike that really wants to find ways to hop and skip over rough sections of trail and sort of along those lines definitely favors a fairly aggressive riding approach and um it's not the most sort of mellow easy going bike when you're just cruising around and taking it easy uh there are sort of some other bikes with similar travel numbers like the next one we're going to talk about i think that uh would probably be better choices for people who are riding mellower trails and maybe not doing quite as aggressively, but the arrival is a ton of fun and really impressive if you start kind of putting your foot down on the gas a little harder. And a lot of what I think is leading to that is that they've done some sort of interesting things with the suspension setup. So the static bottom bracket on that bike is super low, but then we are one recommends that you only run about 20% rear sag on it, which is a fair bit less than most bikes would sort of have you run and less than we typically run on on bikes in that kind of travel range for the most part. And so that kind of counteracts the low bottom bracket to some extent since you're not sagging into it as deeply. And the suspension feels really well worked out sort of to run less sag like that. Uh, even with that relatively stiff setup, I am using full travel on it pretty well. It's not like it is mega stiff and harsh and just you know too stiff but it does favor relatively low sag not ultra plush forgiving setups and in the flash review that i've published of that a little while ago i said that the rear end felt pretty good pretty quickly just following we are one's recommendations for setting sag and whatnot but i was having a little bit harder time figuring out the fork setup to match that and Having fiddled around with it a little bit more, I do have it feeling pretty good. Basically, what I'm doing is just running a bit less sag and a, so more air pressure and uh, one fewer volume spacer than I would otherwise in the fork to kind of 
even that out. And um, for suspension, it's using a Fox 36 factory up front and a Fox uh, Float X2 factory in the rear. So it's a fork and shock that I'm super familiar with, have a ton of time on and, um, you know, kind of got tuning them figured out pretty well by now, just from having been on them on a whole bunch of different bikes over the last couple of years. But the arrival just between the rear suspension kinematics and then sort of just in getting the front and rear suspension to feel balanced definitely favors pretty stiff suspension overall. And just once you kind of dial that in, it, the result is a really lively, fun bike that the small bump sensitivity is sort of maybe better than you might think, given what I've just said about running it really stiff. It's not the standout feature of the bike by any means, but it's still decent it's still pretty forgiving if you're kind of pushing it hard but it's not an ultra plush bike by any stretch it's definitely more kind of taut and lively feeling but if that works for you you're into that and it does it really well and i'm having a ton of fun on it awesome yeah it sounds like a fun bike and one that i regret i was not able to ride (laughs) yeah a lot of bikes here right now not and only so little time but uh well, maybe to move into the next bike that you have been spending a bunch of time on recently, what do you got? Yeah, so we've been spending a good amount of time on Santa Cruz Bronson lately. That bike came in about a week ago, and both David and I have ridden it. Um, it's another one of those 160 front, 150 millimeter rear, sort of do-it-all versatile trail bike offerings, but this one has a mullet. So it's it's been interesting to see the the evolution of the Bronson from the Santa Cruz lineup. It is arguably one of their most popular and well-known bikes. Um, personally, my first trail bike was a Bronson, so I was eager to get on this version of the Bronson and and see sort of its evolution. But yeah, if I were to to sum it up so far, it's been yeah versatile really does a lot of things well um we've mostly been riding a lot of steep and technical here um and i think it does just fine on that um you know with that smaller 27.5 rear wheel i have just about all tire to ass clearance that i could want um not that i really struggle with that at all but Sometimes, you know, you do fear, feel the rear tire brush up, but I haven't even got close to that um, on riding the Bronson. The Bronson also feels perfectly at home on more mellow trails. Um, obviously, for a trail bike, it's nothing like an XC bike, but it's it's a more lively bike. It's quick and nimble. It likes to get into the air. Um, it makes flat corners and things like that fun. And yeah, overall, it, I'd say it feels pretty similar to the Mega Tower I've been spending a lot of time on. Um, geometry numbers are pretty similar. Obviously, they both have that Santa Cruz lower link mounted VPP suspension, but the molded Bronson does feel notably better uh, in cornering. Um, I feel like it just, as you, as you tip it over into corners it just has a more intuitive feel to it i'd say i've i've always been pretty bad at cornering i feel like everyone could be better at cornering just because it's like personally i think it's the hardest part of mountain biking but especially me personally i can do a lot better in cornering so the bronson feels like it wants to help you out in that regard 
feels like it wants to get tipped into corners well and it exits corners really smoothly. Um, I, I feel like on a full 29er, there's somewhat of a vagueness to me personally when you're sort of going in and out of corners. Like, are we still cornering? Are we not? Kind of, kind of feeling to it. Um, didn't, didn't have much of that on the Bronson. So yeah, overall, I've been really impressed by that bike. And yeah, I want to hear your thoughts. Largely pretty similar. One thing that I think is interesting was your sort of comment about the way the Bronson corners and sort of being sort of quicker to initiate a corner, maybe would be a way to put it. And I think I definitely agree with that part though. Personally, I'm a little bit less sort of into that sensation than it sounds like you are. I'm definitely with you that compared to a lot of say full 29er bikes with fairly similar geometry numbers, it feels like it definitely does initiate a corner faster just see sort of and i think it's particularly true in kind of mid-speed corners where you are not going so slowly that you're doing most of your turning by turning the handlebars you're really kind of leaning into a corner and um, carrying some speed through it but not so fast that they're just a really big sweeping corner when you're not getting as substantial lean angles going on in those kind of situations especially it does feel like you sort of start that lean into the corner and it gets going and does that more quickly than a lot of similar bikes do, which is is neat. Um, the thing that works a little bit less well for me personally, and this is maybe just a riding style or personal preferences thing rather than anything super specific to the bike, I guess, but on a few different mullet bikes that I've ridden now, and the Bronson somewhat included in this, it sort of feels like it you start that lean in and it goes kind of dies into the corner pretty quickly but then maybe it's just that i haven't quite got it all figured out and my timing's a little bit off but then the sort of counter steer that you do in order to kind of catch the lean into the corner that you're doing and straighten out to exit it i just feel like it's a little harder to make that catch and correct out of it. And what I will say is that compared to some other mullet bikes that are mostly kind of longer, slacker, more enduro and downhill oriented bikes that I've been on, that is much less true on the Bronson. And I wonder if some of it's just that it's with a little bit less super slack head angle and whatnot, some of that sensation is mitigated. Um, There's still a little bit of it there for me with the Bronson though, just definitely less than on some other bigger bikes. So I definitely can see why people would like that sensation. I definitely get why, especially shorter people would like having a smaller rear wheel and more seat to or tire to ass clearance, as you put it. Um, and you know, we're both, I'm six feet tall. You're what? About five eleven, So we're both kind of on the not crazy tall, but tallish end of the spectrum. So it's not as much of an issue for either of us probably, but I definitely agree with everything you said about the Bronson being a, really fun, versatile bike that uh, can do just a little bit of everything. One question I did have, though, so I have ridden the Mega Tower a bit, though not super recently. It's been a little while. Um, And I remember thinking that the suspension on that bike felt like it wasn't the most kind of forgiving, especially if you're not going pretty quickly and hitting stuff sort of hard it's a little bit 
I don't want to quite say harsh, but like maybe trending in that direction a little. And especially if you're just taking it easy and cruising around. And I have not felt the same way about the Bronson. And so I was just wondering what your comparison would be on that particular note, having ridden both of them more recently than I've been on the Mega Tower. Yeah, I'd say overall, the the Bronson is a lot less game on than the Mega Tower. Um, both with suspension, like you were talking about, I think Eric equated the Mega Tower to kind of like a sports car in our review where you kind of need to be going pretty fast for the suspension to make sense. But, you know, if you're driving a sports car like 10 miles an hour down a dirt road, it probably doesn't feel very good. And yeah, the Mega Tower doesn't really feel great if you're kind of just bouncing around at a slow speed in, in a rock garden. Whereas you go in there with an extra 10 miles an hour and then you're like, oh, that's what this bike is supposed to do. But with the, with the Bronson, I, I didn't feel much of that at all. Um, it's not to say that I thought it was a lot less capable. I don't think I ever really had a harsh bottom out. I was definitely using all the travel, but there wasn't a point where I was like, wow, I wish I was on the mega tower. This just can't handle chunk very well. But, you know, at slower speeds, just kind of messing around, it, it didn't feel like it was just w- always wanted to be going faster. I think it's happier at um, a lot of, a lot more versatile range of speeds as well as uh, different trails. And I also thought the Bronson was, pretty accepting of kind of a more casual body positioning. Um, if you're kind of just riding a little bit more upright, maybe you're off the back of the bike. Um, I think it's just fine on the Bronson. I didn't, I wasn't really struggling too much with front wheel traction very much, just, you know, riding more upright and casual. Whereas bikes I've been on like the mega tower, the Canfield lithium, especially Eric and I talked about that as well as the spectral, like I just said, felt like you really wanted to be over the front wheel a little bit more. The bike was kind of always reminding you of that. Whereas on the Bronson, I didn't, I didn't feel much of that at all. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think it's pretty much in keeping with kind of my impressions for what I remembered from the mega tower too. So yeah, we're on the same page there. The Bronson does feel reasonably capable and it's, you know, it's not the most stable hard charging bike in the universe, but it can, it can do a bit of that and is just easygoing and fun if you're kind of taking it a bit easier too. So good all around in that regard, I think. Yeah. I don't, I don't think we should assign too much weight to what companies have to say about a bike, but Santa Cruz said, when in doubt, take a Bronson out. And I think that's actually pretty accurate of my experience so far on the Bronson. Yeah, that was sort of their mantra from the demo fleet folks just saying, if you're not really sure which one you want, the Bronson's kind of something that'll work well for a lot of people. And that, that makes sense. Totally. I think that's Yeah, and I don't think it being that. a mullet detracts from that whatsoever. I think people will will get on it and have a really familiar ride feel and not be totally like taken aback by how different it feels just because it's a mullet. I think it's very intuitive in that sense. Yeah, I think that's also true. I mean, I, I know I said some stuff a minute ago about the ways in which it feels a bit different cornering, but I do want to be clear that that is all sort of trying to kind of tease apart the finer details rather than it being some super obvious night and day dramatic difference or anything. It's all f- relatively subtle shades of 
you know, exactly how to corners rather than it being, you know, it still feels like a bike. It's not, there's nothing super crazy different going on there. It does bike things for yeah. sure. Yeah, exactly. So, and well, to finish up this kind of lightning round of bike testing, we've been running through here. We should probably get to bike that is at the fairly far end of the, uh, spectrum on versatility. Uh, so we've both been riding the new high pivot Norco range a bit. And certainly I think I speak for both of us in saying that we found it to be a really impressively good bike when you're trying to just charge down something steep. The suspension's fantastic. It is planted and composed and forgiving without feeling wallowy or weird and um but on the other hand it weighs over 39 pounds in our test guys it uh doesn't pedal especially well we've been doing quite a bit of climbing on it and it'll get it done but not quickly not especially efficiently the joke you made the other day was that and I think this is spot on was that the range wants to be going really fast downhill, no matter which way you're pointing it, even if you're trying to go up on it and would prefer it to be heading that direction, it would really rather just turn around and get back to the bottom pretty quick. And, uh, so it's an interesting one. I mean, I think it's cool that Norco is pushing the envelope and making this bike that is just such a hard charging game on enduro bike. Um, in the flash review that I wrote a little while ago, I said that it feels like more bike than even most 170 travel 29ers out there. And I still think that's true. I'm going to spend some more time on it now. It is a whole lot of bike, but if you've got the terrain for it and are willing to get it up to the top one way or another, it's pretty impressive. And I mean, I think, it makes a lot of sense if you want, say, a bike park bike that you're going to be doing a lot of riding chairlifts with, but you still want to be able to pedal it sometimes. It'd be great for that. If you're uh, well, you know, a high-level Enduro racer who's got the fitness to drag it around and the bike handling skills to push it hard enough to kind of need that much bike, it'd be killer for that. But as an everyday trail bike for most people, I think it's going to be just overkill and have some real downsides in terms of efficiency that are probably going to make it not the best call for that for most people, but totally applaud Norco making that bike for the people who want it. It's fun. Right. Yeah. I think you hit most of the highlights on that bike. The range isn't for everyone, like you said, but the group that I think you described well that the the range is for, I think it does just a terrific job of filling the shoes of a long travel, very composed, stable, planted enduro bike. Um, it was one of those bikes that just urged me to get off the brakes and let it run, taking more speed into technical sections and just trusting the bike to do what it can do. And it never let me down in, in that sense. Um, it was my first time on a high pivot suspension layout and I've, I've heard a lot of, I'd, I'd call them like high pivot horror stories of people getting on a high pivot and just forgetting how to ride a bike. But I had absolutely none of that. I think, um, 
surprisingly normal would be a good way to to sum that up in the sense that it didn't really throw any surprises my way in that sense but it did feel the feeling of the bike being more stable the further it is into its rear travel was definitely appreciated and i felt like it did do a good job of not getting hung up on a lot of successive routes or rocks um it did it was like we said it's a planted stable bike and that means it doesn't really want to get up the ground too much um and you know these are all compromises that that we've been hitting on that norco's making to just make a really capable enduro bike so i think these are all fine things but yeah it, it's harder to get into the air whatever kind of situation but yeah on steep fast technical chunky trails I, I can't think of many other 29 inch enduro bikes i'd rather be on if getting to the bottom as fast as i can is my main objective yeah what i would say about the taking to the air thing it jumps just fine if you have you know actual jumps that you're riding it on but it is sort of more in terms of just picking the bike up and popping over little holes and roots and stuff it definitely takes more effort to do that than with most bikes and i think a little bit of this down to the weight probably more of it's just the rear suspension and how planted it feels and it's a trade-off but um for just trying to go real fast i think it's a pretty good one for some people and on the note of just sort of high pivot bikes feeling kind of weird sometimes uh I would say that I think the range for reasons that I'm still trying to get my head around a little bit displays quite a bit less of that than some other other high pivot bikes I've been on. I spent quite a bit of time on the Forbidden Dreadnought earlier this year, uh, another high pivot enduro bike, a little bit less rear travel than the range at 154 versus the range is 170. And that bike felt a little bit sort of caught between two ends of what it wanted to be in some ways. Like it has really good suspension for plowing over rough, chunky sections of trail for a 154 travel bike. But at the same time, at some point it does only have 154 millimeters travel, which is a bit less than a lot of the other really big bruiser enduro bikes out there. And on the flip side of that, it just felt like the rear end was prone to kind of hanging up and felt too long and awkward in a lot of quartering situations, especially if you had a fairly well-supported corner with a good berm where you could really kind of load the suspension up into it. On the Dreadnought, it just felt like in those situations, the back end of the bike just got super long and it was hard to figure out where your weight balance point needed to be between the wheels, almost as if that ideal balance point shifted rearwards as the rear suspension was extending and the back end was getting longer. And I really haven't felt much of that on the range and I'm still trying to figure out why a little bit. I think part of it probably helps that the range's chainstays are somewhat shorter than the dreadnoughts, at least in the size large that I tested both in. Both have variable chainstay lengths by size, but in the bigger sizes in particular, the ranges are significantly shorter largely because the jumps between sizes are much smaller on the range. Forbidden has 14 millimeter jumps per size, which is really a lot. Yeah. And so the small's pretty short, I guess doing math would be what, 422 millimeters because the large that I was on was up to um, 
450, which is already pretty long to begin with. And then when you add in the fact that the chain stays are growing substantially longer just by all of the uh, rear wheel growth and the high pivot layout, it made the back end feel very long and very awkward in some situations. The large range is uh, coming in at, I think it's 442 millimeters. I might be off by a couple, but it's in the low 440s range for sure. They have much smaller dumps between sizes. It's just a few millimeters per, which is kind of more typical for people who are doing that variable chainstay length deal. And it's also probably worth noting that the Dreadnought is a true single pivot with a linkage to change the leverage curve, whereas the uh, the range is effectively a horse link bike. It's kind of like flipped over from upside down from how a normal one would be laid out due to the high pivot situation, but it is... Uh, a significantly different suspension layout and it's not a true single pivot in terms of axle path and so there's some a bit more trickery going on there one of the other things that, that also does is that the range's performance is quite a bit better than the dreadnoughts under braking the dreadnought does feel like the rear suspension stiffens up a fair bit when you're on the brakes hard and the range fares significantly better there so um like i've been saying it's a ton of bike, but for you know, does what it does really remarkably well. It's sort of a specialized tool for the right case, but if you have the uh, terrain and whatnot to put it to use, it's awfully impressive. Yeah, absolutely. I think you summed it up well. Right on. Well, Dylan, thanks for uh, taking the time to do this little bike test lightning round here and frankly i think that was one of the more successful actual lightning rounds in blister podcast history those tend to run pretty long but uh we got through that pretty quickly pretty efficiently i think so go team and been a lot of fun chatting and riding with you these last few days and let's do it again soon yeah absolutely yeah i think we got through that in a timely manner like you said might be a blister record and thanks for letting me stay at your house and eat your food and driving your car and stuff been great having you anytime that's it for this edition of bikes and big ideas and if you enjoyed this conversation then please rate and review the show and apple podcasts i also want to say thanks to dylan for the conversation thanks to taylor ahern for producing this episode and thanks to you for listening from all of us at blister please take good care of yourself and everyone else and we will talk to you again real soon